0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's the 24th day of March 2023. Beautiful weather down here in uh, the mountains of western North Carolina. We got to uh, about 78 degrees yesterday, going to be similar today. Sunshine of sh- shorts and flip-flop weather. Beautiful thing. <laughs> By the way, I, I I got the Cluckingham Palace, the uh, chicken coop is officially done, so I can move on to a, a new project. But finished that up yesterday, so uh, glad about that. Hey, we're six days away from the start of the 2023 Major League Baseball season, and uh, and it's so strange. I, I still, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. It's still a bit of a come down from the WBC, and the talk continues about the WBC and the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I don't quite understand it. Um, the latest is Adam Wainwright is going to be out for the Cardinals uh, because he uh, he suffered a, a groin strain doing weight training while he was with the WBC. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit longer. But, you know, at the end of the day, he was going to do weight training in St. Louis uh, with, with his St. Louis team. So what's the difference? He could have done the same thing in spring training. The WBC has absolutely nothing to do with it, but we'll get to all that in a little bit. Um, March Madness resumed last night, and uh, with the exception of the UConn game, they were fun. Uh, UConn last night absolutely destroyed Arkansas. Never saw this coming. Um, Look, Arkansas is a team that is loaded with uh, McDonald's High School All-Americans. They've, they've got uh, a few NBA prospects on that team, and a lot of people thought that this was going to be a tough game for UConn. Size, way too much for UConn, and their defense was just smothering. But UConn just owned the paint. They outscored Arkansas 42-24 in the paint last night. Um, they out-rebounded Arkansas by 12 uh, they shot 57%, and they limited Arkansas to just 32% shooting. So it was about the defense, which is a signature of Danny Hurley. He wants his team to play smothering defense. That's exactly what they did last night. And uh, UConn wins it 88-65. to I mean, it was just unbelievable. Jordan Hawkins, 24 points last night, uh, about as efficient as you can get. Um, only took 13 shots, but went nine of nine from the free throw line. Uh, Adamasenogo another great game, 18 points, nine rebounds. Pretty much did whatever he wanted. Uh, they ran that pick and roll from the uh from the foul line, extended a couple of times where he'd go out, he'd set a pick, roll the basket, and get the pass for an easy layup. I mean, UConn just it was just uh, unbelievable. Uh, so they uh, they move on. Uh, Arkansas season ends at 22-14. and Look, UConn has been perhaps the most impressive team in terms of their margins of victory in this tournament. UConn has yet to play a close game. They've won by 24, 15, and now 23. So uh, they have not been close. Their next game, folks, uh, is going to be close. They have to take on Gonzaga next. And I will admit, I did not... Watch the end of the Gonzaga-UCLA game last night. I mean, you know, again, the game didn't even start till God, it must have been almost 10 o'clock, I don't know, quarter of 10, something like that. And I lasted for as long as I could. And when I went to bed, UCLA had a 13-point lead at halftime. And they were pretty much doing whatever they wanted to Gonzaga, so I figured this one is over. And uh, I guess I should have stayed up for a little while (laughs) because uh, UCLA absolutely uh, went in the tank for a while in this one. They could not buy a basket. They went on an 11-minute stretch where they did not have a field goal. They went from 13 up at the half to 10 down. With 2.40 left in the game. Now, give UCLA a lot of credit. They were down 8. With a minute 5 left. And they hit a 3-pointer with 12 seconds left. That actually gave them back the lead. But then uh, it was all over. Julius... Uh, Strother, a three-pointer with 7.2 seconds left, and Gonzaga ends up winning at 79-76 to advance to the Elite Eight. What a what a great finish! These two teams, what a great uh, history they have. UCLA now 31 and six to end the season. Gonzaga 31 and five. Drew Timmy, by the way, 36 points. That is an NCAA tournament record. It's unbelievable. He has now – it was his 10th NCAA tournament game with at least 20 points. And uh, he is going to be a handful for UConn. There is no question about that. But it's not – the thing with with the Gonzaga is it's not just Drew Timmy. This is a very good team. Mark Few is a heck of a coach, and now UConn uh, will have to take on Gonzaga. The last time they played uh, in the NCAA tournament, I believe, was back in 99 – UConn won that game uh, 69-62, but that was a lifetime ago. They've played five times in um, their history, and UConn has won three of the five. And there's no doubt that the Big East um, is a better conference than what Gonzaga plays in. There's no question. But this is still going to be a tough, tough game. For UConn. That one will be coming up uh, on Saturday. I am uh, really looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, other games last night, f- another upset in the NCAA tournament. Shocking, I know. But Florida Atlantic, perhaps the most unlikely. Well, no, no, the most unlikely team right now probably would be uh, Princeton, who has won a couple of games to get themselves into the Sweet 16. And if uh, Princeton can win tonight, if they can beat Creighton from the Big East, and which is not going to be easy, but if they can do that, they could get to the lead eight. But outside of that, the most unlikely team would have to be Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic, and you'll be forgiven if you have never heard of them, but they—they're they're in Boca Raton. They've been a Division One team for a long time, but uh, this is—they've uh, only been in the NCAA tournament. This is their second time. It's unbelievable what they've done. And now they will take on, uh, um, well, they'll take on the winner of, uh, excuse me, they'll take on Kansas State because last night they beat Tennessee. So Florida Atlantic, after that win last night, is a game away from the Final Four. Can you? How about this? How about if Florida Atlantic somehow pulls the upset over K-State, and good luck with that, by the way. I don't think that's going to be easy. K-State, the three seed in the East region. But how about if Florida Atlantic makes the Final Four and then Princeton beats Creighton tonight and then somehow finds a way uh, to get into the Final Four? How about that for a Final Four matchup? You know, the problem with it is, to be honest with you, the problem with it is, is if that happens, can you imagine Florida Atlantic and, and, uh, and Princeton get to the Final Four? The problem with that is, is that the teams on the other side of the bracket are loaded. I mean, you're looking at right now, well, Houston and Miami are going to play tonight, and then Xavier and Texas, right? But, I, I mean, those teams are loaded. And then you've got UConn and Gonzaga left. Whew. You know, unfortunately, if that happens, it would be a great story, if Princeton and Florida Atlantic get to the Final 4 it'd be a great story. I think it's an unlikely story, but it'd be a great story if it happens. The problem is it sets up an absolutely hideous NCAA tournament final because the teams in the Midwest and the West are absolutely loaded. But Tennessee gets bounced last night by Florida Atlantic, 62-55. to 55. Um, This was a game that it looked like Tennessee – had it under control, but Tennessee went through a six-minute stretch in the second half where they scored a grand total of four points. Florida Atlantic couldn't buy a three-pointer for most of the game, but in the final ten minutes, all of a sudden, their three started falling against the number one defense in the country. And so Tennessee, another disappointing out. They finished their season at 25-11. and 11. Look, Rick Barnes... Uh, is a great coach. He's made uh, 27 NCAA appearances with four schools. But getting as far as the Final Four has only happened for Rick Barnes exactly once. But Tennessee shot 33% last night. Six of 23 from three-point range. And uh, they get bounced. So now Florida Atlantic advances. And then the best game of the night, the best game, Kansas State beats Michigan State, 98-93 in overtime. Uh, Perhaps the highlight play of the game, uh, a little alley-oop from uh, Marquise Noel to Keontae Johnson. And uh, then a a great defensive play at the end to steal the ball when Michigan State looked like they were going to have one last gasp. Down 96-93, Michigan State had the ball. Uh, And then... uh, but Noel stole the ball from him, uh, from Michigan State uh, guard Tyson Walker, drove in for an easy layup, and that was the final in overtime, ninety-eight to ninety-three. So uh, I'm a big fan of Tom Izzo, uh, but they get bounced once again. Uh, they've been look. Michigan State spent a twenty-five straight NCAA tournaments, and uh, Izzo and Michigan State last one made the. Uh, uh, won the championship in 2000, but they have struggled since then. They've only made the Final Four, I think, uh, once since then. But uh, what a great game last night for Kansas State! So they will move on, and uh, that's where we're at as far as the NCAA. Great, like I said, you cannot ask uh, for anything better than uh, than we saw last night, other than other than the UConn game, and if you're a, a a fan of the North of Northeast and the Big East basketball, you were loving that. Um, other basketball news Providence College has a new coach, of course. Ed Cooley, who is a Providence guy, recently left to take the job at Georgetown. A pretty controversial thing. I mean, uh, Ed Cooley's kind of getting killed by a lot of people in the Providence area for taking that job, but um. Ed Cooley's a classy guy. I mean, it's, I've known Ed for a long time, and he's a great guy, and, and I think that people are being a little bit hard on him. Uh, Georgetown has a rich history, uh, a predominantly black school. He's a black coach. His daughter goes to Georgetown. It made sense for him to go there. Well, now Providence has hired Kim English. This is going to be very interesting. Kim English, if, and you'll be forgiven if you've never heard of him, Um most recently at George Mason and over two seasons he led George Mason to a 34 and 29 record they were 20 and 13 this past season first time that George Mason had won 20 games in a season since the 2016-17 season but young kid he'll be the youngest coach in the Big East um but he is uh he's been around mostly as an assistant he started his career in 2015, eight years ago, he started as an assistant coach in Division One at the age of 24, or excuse me, 26, at Tulsa. Spent two seasons at Tulsa, uh, and then he went. Spent two seasons as an assistant at Colorado, and then in 2019, he went to Tennessee as an assistant coach, where he stayed until he was hired away. Uh, to coach as a as a head coach the last two seasons at George Mason. So he will take over uh, Providence College. And, uh, you know, good for him, um, but he's got his hands full. There's no question about that. But he obviously showed uh, that not only can he coach, but he can recruit to take a school like George Mason that does not have a rich basketball history uh, and get them uh, to a 21 season. So uh, good for him. The NCAA Women's Tournament starts, or restarts, I should say, tonight. Yukon um, UConn uh, will not play until Saturday. The games we have tonight, Miami and Villanova. Miami a nine seed against number four Villanova out of the Big East. Uh, the marquee matchup of the day will take place at 5 o'clock. It's uh, LSU and Utah. LSU a three seed. U- Utah is a two seed. And uh, then the other games that will take place today are out in Seattle. Uh, or in the Seattle Regional, it's uh, Mississippi, the eighth seed against number five, Louisville, and then number six, Colorado. (laughs) Excuse me. We'll have its hands full with Caitlin Clark and Iowa. As they said, UConn plays tomorrow. They will take on Ohio State. Look, UConn... Probably was underseeded in this, and and with Az Fud coming back, uh, it has made a big difference. UConn rolled through the Big East tournament, has rolled through the first couple of games in the uh, the tournament. Uh, the bottom line is this: with Az Fud, this team is thirteen and one. Their average margin of victory with her is twenty three and a half points a game. Without her, it's only fourteen. Um, and uh, they they score about eight more points a game with her in the game. So. Uh, they're going to have their hands full. It's a very good Ohio State team, but I fully expect UConn was – I still think UConn uh, goes to take on South Carolina. I think South Carolina uh, and UConn will be a great final, and they did not have AC Fudd or Caroline Ducharme the last time they played South Carolina, and it was a hell of a game. It was probably the toughest game that South Carolina had all season, so I am looking forward uh, to that for sure. Um, So that's where we stand with uh, NCAA basketball – couple of things I wanted to talk about before we uh, we go to a break and, and talk a little baseball when we come back. Um, there was a uh, decision passed down yesterday uh, by the international track and field governing body and uh, they are going to ban transgender athletes from international competition. Uh, and also adopt new regulations that stop people that have uh, differences in sex development from competing. Look, this is a hot-button topic in this day and age, Um, not just, obviously, with transgender, but the whole LBGTQ plus whatever it is, community, Um, and there is no easy answers here. And Sebastian Coe, who is the head of the Track and Field uh, Association, said, look, um, you know, all the decisions, you know, have challenges, but but we just have to do what we feel is the right thing. And the bottom line is this. They are banning athletes who have transitioned from male to female and have gone through male puberty. Um, and and th- this is something that we have seen. Um, we saw it play out in college with swimming uh, with the uh, uh, the athlete who was competing uh, for penn that transitioned from male to female look there is I am not saying I, I am not saying that uh, uh, being transgender is a bad thing and I'm and I'm not saying that people shouldn't try to live the life that they feel they are best suited for and if 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 transitioning from from uh, uh, male to female is, is what is the right thing for that person? That's fine. Um, but having said that, we also have to take into consideration you can, there are there, you, there can be no denying that there are physical differences that somebody who has transitioned from male to female. You can undergo all the hormone therapy and stuff that you want, but there are still if you've gone through puberty, there are still differences. And, um, it's, and again, I'm all for people living the life that they want to lead, but that does not mean in my opinion, that it also means that you are then entitled to, uh, do everything it is you want to do at the end of the day, it has to be a level playing field. And for somebody who is biologically female, To have to compete against somebody that has higher levels of testosterone and higher muscle mass and a different body structure because they were born male before they transitioned to female is not fair. I don't care what you say. I am not anti-transgender. I am not uh, anti-LBGTQ. I'm not, it has nothing to do with it. This is all about biology and physics. And it's just not fair to girls to have to compete against somebody who was born a male period. And uh, i it's a hill I will die on. Um, now, there are athletes, and th- this was also addressed in this ruling, there are athletes um, who have issues with their sexual development in that they may have been born female, but because of their uh, something in their biology they have higher levels of testosterone a for instance somebody like uh castor semenya who has uh, competed in uh the 400 meters and uh through one mile but has not been able to do that because they they are born with higher levels of testosterone and it gives them an unfair advantage and again you know and she's not the only one uh, Olympic silver medalist uh, Christine Mimboa from uh, Namibia, same thing. Uh, but it's, it's, it's there are similarities between that and transgender, but these are people that were legally identified as female at birth, but their medical condition leads to male traits, including the high levels of testosterone. Um, and now in order to compete at next year's Olympics, somebody like Semenya will have to undergo hormone suppressing treatment for six months. Um, and it's something that she said, by the way, she'll never do again. She said she did it uh, a decade ago under previous rules and she said she'd never do it again. So look, there are no easy answers, but at the same time, I think we have to look out for people that for, for other women that are, that not just that were born women, but for people that have higher levels of testosterone, there is a competitive advantage and should all women be penalized for that. I mean, it's there is no easy answer. But Sebastian Coe and the world uh, uh, governing body for track and field is at least trying to level that playing field. And, you know, we can debate all you want whether it's right or wrong. Um, uh, but this is a decision that's been made, and it's going to affect the upcoming Olympics next year. Now, in the, along the same vein with the LBGDQ thing, and this to me, has gotten to the point of ridiculousness. We have uh, several NHL teams. All the NHL teams are having what they call a Pride Night to be more inclusive and to include people of the LBGTQ community, which is great. I, I am all for that. Um, I am all for gay. I have listen. I I have said this many times. I I have I am not homophobic. I am not anti-gay. I am not you know any of that. I think everybody should live the life they want to live, and I think we need to include these people in life. I don't think that just because somebody is gay, they need to be shunned. I think that's ridiculous. Um, so the NHL has been having pride nights where teams will come out with pride jerseys with kind of the rainbow symbolism for that that community. Well, we have had a number of players that refuse to wear them, saying that is against their Christian beliefs and, and, and yada, yada, yada. Which, of course, also is their right, but it is also the right of other people to skewer them. And the the latest people that have done that are the Stahl brothers, uh, who play for the Florida Panthers, who recently had a pride night and refused to wear the jersey. Um, You know, and, and along with that, now the Chicago Blackhawks have decided to not wear these pride warm up jerseys prior to their game Sunday. Against Vancouver, but this is for a completely different reason, and this one's even more. This one's even more uh, difficult to navigate. They are not doing this because they have a few Russian players and people with ties uh, to Russia. Back in December, the Russian government passed a law that expands restrictions on sub- on supporting lbGdQ rights. Vladimir Putin signed it in December and so the Blackhawks are concerned that their their Russian people will have difficulty or or could imperil them and their families when they want to return home to Russia. And by wearing these jerseys, there's, you know, the, you're, you're basically saying I support, you know, this, the inclusion of, of this community. And it's against the law in this, in Russia. And so what do you do? I mean, it's kind of the same thing that a lot of Russian players are having now with the invasion of Ukraine. You know, even if they don't support the war in Ukraine, they have to be very careful about speaking out against it because their families still live in Russia. So I can understand this, I think, more than I can uh, the Stahl brothers and and others like that 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 are citing their Christian beliefs, because, look, and and I will, again, as somebody who— was raised Christian. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I've gotten away from the Catholic Church, but uh, going to the Anglican Church, I am one of these people that believes that the old cliche line, we're all God's children. And, you know, it it doesn't mean that I have to, uh, it it doesn't mean that I am condoning a particular lifestyle, but it also means that I may not, agree with what you do but it doesn't mean that i think you should be shunned it doesn't mean that i think you should be excluded from society Uh, i think everybody should be included i think look this is how progress happens people of all different faiths and of all different uh uh personal beliefs have been some of the most creative people that we have ever had uh you know artists uh, of all different kinds, whether they be, you know, painting and sculpting and acting and singing, everything, through through world history. A lot of the progress that we have had in the arts and in science have been from people that have been from, I don't want to call them fringe communities, but but outside the mainstream. And so we need to still include these people. So, you know, but, but doing it, you know, the Black, what the Blackhawks are doing to try to protect their players and their families, I can understand that a lot more than I can Christians who, Christians are supposed to love everybody. Christians are supposed to be inclusive. And, you know, and, and, and at times, parts of the Christian community can be very, very rigid and very uh, not inclusive. So I can understand what the Blackhawks are doing a little bit more, and 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 I don't know that there is an easy answer to this, other than getting Vladimir Putin out of Russia, and uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen either. But uh, uh, that's where we're at. So the Blackhawks have made that decision, and 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 I again, you know, I don't either agree or disagree, but I can understand that one because there are safety concerns. Uh, for their players and their families, which I think is very legitimate. 33 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 36 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. And uh, baseball news from yesterday, I, I referenced this at the top of the show, and Adam Wainwright is going to uh, miss uh, what they are saying is probably a few weeks um when he was diagnosed uh, with a groin strain, and he did this supposedly in a workout before team USA lost to Japan in the WBC on Tuesday. And Wainwright had pitched very well for team USA. He pitched eight innings in the tournament, uh, went 2 and0 with an ERA at 2.25, Um, was a big part of the reason why the uh, U.S. got to the final. But at the end of the day, people that are screaming about the WBC in regards to Adam Wainwright, this had nothing to do with anything. This This didn't happen in a game. This was a workout in the weight room, which we all know athletes do routinely anyway. So it had nothing to do with the WBC. It just happened to be that it was in Miami instead of within the St. Louis Cardinals training complex. Um, and, and by the way, he's 41 years old and as somebody who is significantly older than that, but we all know as we get older, it's a lot easier to hurt yourself or to tweak something and have it last a lot longer than it would have when you were a kid. Uh, so at the end of the day, we need to stop the noise about the WBC. This had absolutely nothing to do with it. And uh, Pete Alonso returned to the Mets yesterday from the the WBC, and again was speaking glowingly about it, and would do it again in a heartbeat. And you've heard that from almost everybody. You have not heard that. This is the interesting part about this, folks. All the people bitching about the WBC, not one of them are the players. Now there there are players that are saying they don't want to that. that chose not to play in it and there's some issues with that especially with the pitching where your elite pitchers have decided not to play or by the way how about a guy like Aaron Judge right or John Carlos Stanton you know I mean look the USA batting lineup was impressive as hell without Aaron Judge but can you imagine I mean but we haven't heard any bitching about the WBC from players it's all from uh, fans and writers most of who uh, you know probably were lucky if they played high school baseball, right? So – and have no idea what it's like to represent your country. By the way, neither do I, okay? I've never represented my country in anything, but I can only imagine – I mean, as somebody who is a big fan of international competition, I love the Olympics. Uh, I I can't say I love the World Cup because I don't like soccer. I'd rather watch grass grow. But I understand. But I understand what a big deal it is, and and the fact that that people that it's the national sport for most countries. So I get that. Um, but you know, I always watch the Olympics. I can't get enough of the Olympics, with the exception of a few sports I can't. I don't. I don't like. But I can't get enough Olympics. I just think it's fun. It's fun. So uh, you know, and it's going to happen again. So people just need to, to, to pipe down. You know, and and again, the Edwin Diaz thing. Freak injury, jumping up and down, celebrating. I mean, the only one you can really gripe about if you want to gripe is Jose Altuve getting hit in the thumb. But he could have done that in a spring training game, and that's that's what all the players keep trying to point out. So it's it's tough for Wainwright that he's out, but I don't think he's going to – I don't think you'll hear one thing from Adam Rainwright that says, geez, I wish I hadn't played in the WBC. Uh, other injury news, and this one is a big one. The Philadelphia Phillies yesterday lost their first baseman. Reese Hoskins, uh, wiped out his left knee. He is going to need reconstructive knee surgery. He is likely done for the year. Uh, Gavin Lux of the Los Angeles Dodgers recently did the same thing. And uh, the recovery time for something like that is six to eight months. So we uh, are not going to see Reese Hoskins. It's a tough blow for Hoskins. It was the final year of his deal with the Phillies. He is set to become a free agent in the coming year. So you wonder how that's going to affect uh, uh, long-term his long-term uh, uh, finances. Although, with the money they make in Major League Baseball, I don't think we're going to have to worry about it too much. But... Uh, that's a tough one. And it was a non-contact injury. He was basically uh, going back into the outfield to play a pop-up and uh, ended up going down and, and when he planted his leg and blew out the knee. and uh, It's just brutal. Uh, brutal. So now the Phillies will start the season without Reese Hoskins and without Bryce, Bryce Harper. I mean, two huge parts of that Philadelphia Phillies lineup are out. Now, the Phillies have done something interesting. Um the idea was that Harper originally wasn't supposed to be back until July, until, like, the All-Star break. Well, the Phillies have declined to put him on the 60-day DL, which meant he couldn't be activated before the end of May if they had chosen to do that. And Dave Dombrowski, the general manager, said that they decided not to there because they want to keep their options open. Now, Harper had Tommy John surgery in November. And, uh, you know, the idea was when he came back, he was going to come back as a designated hitter anyway. Um, And even though he had elbow problems last year, it didn't affect him hitting the baseball. I mean, he had a hell of a year last year. Right? Hit 286, drove in almost 100 runs. Still had plenty of power. Um, So it didn't affect him Well, he's already doing, uh, you know, taking soft toss and, you know, doing dry swings. And there is a chance that he could physically be ready. And he said all along that he felt really good and he was hoping that he could get back sooner rather than later, but the Phillies are going to take their times. They're going to be careful. Um, but if he's, if he's ready to go, uh, you know, they're going to activate him sooner rather than later, especially now with Hoskins out, you would think. But, look, this guy is going into the fifth season of a 13-year contract that he signed with the Phillies, right, uh, for $330 million, which, by the way, right now with the money the guys are getting, that was a bargain, right? Um But he hasn't played right field since last April 16th and probably won't this year. Maybe late in the season they'll put him back out in the outfield. But this is very similar. If you remember when Shohei Otani had to have Tommy John surgery, they brought him back as a designated hitter. They've never put him back in the outfield because they want to preserve his ability to pitch. So they didn't want to have the dual strain of not just pitching but also playing and throwing from the outfield. So he is just now strictly a designated hitter. But he came back a lot sooner than people thought he would and worked as a designated hitter. And the Phillies are hoping that uh, he is going to be able to do the exact same thing. Other injury news yesterday, um, the Atlanta Braves. Did an MRI on their closer, Rysel Iglesias, who they recently signed. And uh, he has some uh, inflammation, and he is not going to throw for several days. They're going to shut him down for at least a week. He was supposed to be the new closer after Kenley Jansen, of course, signed with the Red Sox. Uh, He's 33 years old, had 17 saves last season uh, for uh, the Angels and Atlanta. He's a guy that came up with the Cincinnati Reds, was a very solid closer for them. Uh, But it seems like he's going to be shut down for at least a week. So the Braves will be starting the season without uh, their closer. The Braves are also getting ready to uh, welcome back Mike Soroka. Uh, You'd be forgiven if you have forgotten about him. He hasn't pitched in the majors since he blew out his Achilles tendon back in August of 2020. And he's had three surgeries since then. Uh, He had some hamstring tightness at the start of this spring training, so they shut him down. But this is a guy in his rookie year in 2019, went 13 and four with a uh, 2.68 ERA in 29 starts, uh, and then three starts into the pandemic season in 2020, he blew out that Achilles. Then he tore it again the following summer when he was rehabbing, uh, and then he threw in six minor league games last year. So he has not been around for a while, but he has made his return to the Braves. They're going to work him in very slowly. Um, he won't be ready for the rotation at the start of the season, but they're looking at this as a long-term thing, And uh, but he is back on the mound, and the Braves very, very happy about that. Um, we've talked a million times about the uh, payroll of the New York Mets and how much money they're spending and uh, the new Cadillac club that's going to cost you $25,000 a seat if you want to be there. But the Mets announced yesterday something that's great and it's something that I think more teams need to do they are working on a ticket plan that is going to allow college students to attend games at a rate that is affordable and steve Cohen, the owner of the mets has said look that's a group that has consistently been priced out of major league baseball so the mets are working on a ticket package that would allow college students to go to a baseball game for 15 bucks 15 bucks that is awesome you know we right now major league baseball has the oldest average fan of any professional sport in the United States and it's not close by the way right i think i want to say i, I and I, I don't have the number off the top of my head but i want to say it is something like the average major league fan is something like 45 years old so but when and and when you that's another reason by the way why the WBC is such a great thing because you br- you generate that kind of excitement you bring young people into this but now, if you can start bringing them into the ballpark for an affordable price, you, you generate even more enthusiasm. Because you can watch all the sports you want on television. But folks, there is nothing like actually going to a game. Now, I will say this. There is one professional sport I will not go to a game. Not anymore. I did when I was younger, many times. You couldn't get me to go to an NFL game now with a a gun to my head. And and, and good for those of you that want to, but those crowds and, you know, trying to get into parking and everything to to a football stadium that holds, you know, 70,000 people and it's cold and you can't really see the damn game anyway. I would much rather sit on my couch and watch an NFL game any day. Any day and twice on Sundays. But I would much rather be at a ballpark. The smells, the sounds, the fresh air. Uh, It's summertime. I would much rather go to a baseball game. Hockey. People that say they aren't hockey fans. Go to a game. Go sit at a hockey rink. Go to a professional hockey game. It is a completely... Different experience than trying to watch it on television because you can see the whole ice, you can see how plays develop. It is so much better going to a professional hockey game. And and, you know, I said with the NFL, NBA might be the same thing because you know what the problem with the NBA is now? There's so much noise in an NBA game, and it's not just the crowd noise, they pipe in music and crowd noise and sound effects. Constantly, next time you watch an NBA game on television, listen to all the background noise that they're generating from the public address system. It's brutal. But I'm telling you, you want to increase kids going to to Major League games? Do this. $15 tickets. Great job by the team that has the highest payroll in Major League Baseball trying to do this. We need to have more teams do this. This is a brilliant thing. Brilliant. Because college kids going to afford 15 bucks to go to a game. And once you get them in, they'll be hooked. Trust me. 49 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. It is 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call. Uh, the Red Sox win their spring training game yesterday, 7 to 4. Only notable things from this game Bobby Dahlbeck with a home run. Uh, As he tries to work his way into the Red Sox lineup, probably a long shot. Although with Yu Chang taking so long to get back from the WBC, he just arrived at Red Sox camp yesterday. Uh, So he has missed a significant amount of time. He had some visa issues trying to get back into the United States. Uh, And Jorge Alfaro, uh, one of the uh, Red Sox catchers, with a moonshot yesterday. Red Sox have a decision to make. Uh, Connor Wong is a guy that they like. Uh, they got him from the Dodgers as part of the Mookie Betts trade, along with Jeter Downs, who's also been who's already been shipped out of town. But Alfaro is a guy they signed to a uh, a minor league contract and was a non roster invitee. Um, it was his second home run of the spring yesterday. He's 29 years old. This guy can hit the crap out of the ball. He's hitting 524 this spring, which again, it's the spring. I get it. But he also played for Columbia in the World Baseball Classic, hit the ball well there. Uh, played in the Dominican Republic Winter League, was the MVP of the playoffs there. Um, and in the Red Sox lineup that is going to be hurting for offensive pop the way it has in the past, I don't know how you leave Alfaro off this roster. Reese McGuire is going to make it as the starting catcher or the primary guy, but I think, I think uh, Jorge Alfaro is a guy you've really got to look at. Um, you know, they like Connor Wong's defense. Alfaro is a little bit lacking in defense, but man, uh, I just, I, I like this guy. Of course, I'm jealous of his hair too, but I really like this guy. I, I hope the Red Sox um, decide to keep him. Uh, the Red Sox have kind of uh, solidified their pitching staff, and Nick Pavetta is going to be the fifth starter for the Red Sox uh, at least the start of the season. They are going to have him pitch uh, behind Tanner Houck and Cutter Crawford. So we're going to start the season with Chris Sale, or, or actually, it's going to be uh, Corey Kluber, then Chris Sale. And then it's going to be Hauk, Crawford, and Pavetta. That does not exactly strike fear into the hearts of men. Uh, but they wanted to put Pavetta fifth because he's a guy. He look, he read, led the Red Sox last year in innings pitched, right? Um, threw 180 innings last year. So, in, in the case of uh, Hauk and Crawford, if they get whacked around, you know they want to have somebody back there that they can rely on going out, throwing some innings, and being able to save that bullpen. Um, Cutter Crawford threw in a triple-A game yesterday and, and, you know, looked pretty good um, through six innings and only allowed two runs, struck out six, walked one, looked pretty good. but uh, uh, And looked okay at times for the Red Sox last year, but he's a big if. And, and they may not be in the rotation long because Garrett Whitlock's close. Uh, Brian Bayo's probably a couple of weeks away. So, uh, at least in the beginning, uh, this Red Sox rotation is uh, going to be a little bit shaky. For sure, uh, Tristan Cassis, by the way, uh, went two for four yesterday after sitting a couple of games with that uh, pinky that he hurt uh, in a weightlifting or a, or a weight room accident catching a medicine ball. You know, had nothing to do with the WBC, by the way. I uh, went two for four yesterday with a pair of doubles. Um, hockey yesterday, the Boston Bruins win again. They beat the Montreal Canadiens four to two. It was the seven hundred and fifty sixth time that these two teams have met uh, in their history unbelievable um but uh Bruins look good Jeremy Swayman 29 saves another victory and the Bruins now with 115 points David Pasternak by the way uh his 49th goal of the season it is a career high for him Uh, he will have a shot for his 50th of the season on Saturday uh when they host the Tampa Bay Lightning uh the Nashville Predators Trying to uh, improve their playoff position, beat the Seattle Kraken yesterday two to one in a shootout. Right now, uh, Nashville is a couple of games out in the wild card. Seattle right now holds that number one wild card position. Winnipeg in the second slot, and uh, the Predators are trying to uh, overtake them to find them, to get themselves into the playoff. It's the second straight win for Nashville after having lost. Uh, Three in a row. They will host Seattle again on Saturday. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Enjoy March Madness all weekend. Uh, We will be uh, talking about that, obviously, heavy on Monday. And uh, baseball for real next week. Can't wait. We leave you this morning with some music from the Hollies. This is an old one. Long, cool woman in a black dress. See you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.